critical that we understand why we all have this different understanding of the situation. And if if each of us look at it from each other's point of views, you can solve it. Anything can be solved easily. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Julie Pexis from Jill, a software company that was started almost 40 years ago by her father. Today, the business is run by Julie and her brother, Michael. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast, and thanks for joining us. Just a heads up to our audience, we may also be visited by Julie's dog, Pixel. How are you, Julie? Good, Rick. Good, thank you. And Excellent. there, right on cue, was Pixel. <laughs> Excellent. There we go. Just to get, there we go. Just to get things going and to start our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about Jill? What's the change you want to make? Or to put it another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver? And who do you hope to help? Jill is a software company and it's for very specific industries. These industries include the motor dealers, include mechanical workshops, and also very different is B2B supply chain management. So very, very different customer bases. I have to admit, trying to manage and grow three different industries is pretty hard and one of the things that we're working on at the moment, actually. We have always focused on wanting to know our customers and helping them manage their businesses better through automation. It's easier for us to give good advice when we see hundreds of businesses doing the same task. So we all know how frustrating it is when we have a problem and nobody is there to ask for help. So we want to be that person to our customers. Excellent. Thank you for that. We'll explore a little bit more about the three industries and it'd be interesting to understand the commonalities that you can align with that. But to go a little bit earlier than that, prior to joining Jill, you had a successful career in the telecommunications industry, predominantly working at TPG. Did you always intend to join the family business? And what were some of the lessons learnt working in leadership at TPG that has helped you achieve? Did I intend to always join the family? I don't I don't think so. When TPG grew so fast and it got to the point where, you know, my clock was ticking and I knew I wanted to get married and have kids, the flexibility of that just didn't fit with my work at TPG. It was just a little bit stressful. I mean, sometimes I'd get up in the middle of the night and have to go and turn the alarm off because somebody had broken in or something like that. It just didn't fit with marriage and kids. So once I got to that point, yes, definitely family business was the way to go. The other question was, were there lessons that you learned working in a a fast-growing, obviously technology, but telecommunications business that has helped you with your career at Jill? Definitely. Everything was really learnt on the job. I had so many good people around me. I learnt from them as well, the various aspects of running a business. And at TPG, I was so lucky to have been taken under the the wing of the owner there, David Teo. And so I learnt from the best. 
I assume you were at TPG when it was quite a small business and grew into the enormous telecommunications company that it is today. That's a terrific story, actually, because I did start when it was just David, his wife. And back then, in the beginning of the business, it was actually building computers. So wow. there was one guy who assembled the computers, David, his wife, Vicky, and myself. And that's, yeah, it was, was great. What, what have you taken away? Or can you tell us any stories about some of the mishaps at TPG that have helped you at GEO? Well, back then, I, I guess big things that seem very small but mean a lot is David used to say, take care of the small things and the big things will take care of themselves. So that's definitely a huge thing that I do these days. Yeah, that's mm. a great insight. It's a great lesson. My understanding is that GEO is now a multi-generational business. It was, as I said earlier, started by your father close to 40 years ago. Today, you and your brother, Michael, run the business and the third generation is now working in the business. Given this history, can you tell us the story of the leadership transition from your father to you and Michael? And if you could have that experience again, are there things that you would do differently? Are there lessons you've learned that meant you'd approach the transition differently? I don't think there would be anything different in the transition. Dad was working for a good 10 years before Michael joined the company. So he was there for, for 10 years before I joined and he learned a lot of the technical side and he had a flair in that area. Not that he became a developer, but he certainly had a flair. I had a very different focus. I was better at managing businesses, sales and marketing side of things. So we didn't realize it at the time, but we sat very well together. And it's lucky that dad was ready for retirement when I came into the business, because I'm not sure that other and I would have got on fantastically. <laughs> He's a very hard taskmaster. And I don't yeah. know how my brother, I have 10 years working side by side with him. <laughs> yes. It's a challenge working in a family business. Absolutely. But he retired the day I started, so it worked out. So in that period, had you and Michael already explored how you're going to divvy up responsibilities and work through it, given that you hadn't had any prior experience to running it? Or how did that process of you joining and building out a working relationship with your brother come to about? And naturally, I guess, no, yeah. no prior plans. We didn't know where each of us were going to fit into the business. It just happened naturally. And today, how do you divvy out responsibilities or more importantly, how do the two of you, assuming you do, make joint decisions about the bigger picture? Not obviously, I assume you make the decisions about sales and marketing and Michael makes decisions around the technology. But if you're making major decisions, replatforming the product or really decisions that are long-term in nature. How do the two of you make decisions together? We did have our ups and downs. We realized that we need to cut out the noise. And part of that is to ensure that in the business, our relationship is the most important thing. Because if we're on different pages or we disagree, it's bad for the entire company. We talk daily now, just even just to check in what's going on, check in what directions... It's just a regular conversation and it's us. It's just us two. Whereas historically, maybe we've involved other people, which you do in business. You have to involve your whole company, but we do have this just us every day without fail. That's great. That's a, a key piece. 
You mentioned the idea of cutting out the noise. Are you referring to when you're trying to get opinions of other people and it's really there's lots of noise around you that you're referring to cutting out so that it's just you and Michael getting on the same page? <laughs> yes, the noises in the rest of the family. We've had, like, got two of Michael's daughters in the business, my sister's girls in the business, and even my son, who's 18 now, was in the business for all of one week. So that's what I mean by noise. Inside the business, we know that our relationship is the most important thing and it's important not to let the other family members distract that good relationship. That's excellent. In terms of also just want to follow up on the, you mentioned the the term a same page and we actually have a methodology in our business that is called a same page meeting. There are three senior leaders in the organisation and every two weeks, individually, I catch up with them to check that we're all on the same page, we're heading in the right direction, we all agree. And those meetings can be, as you said, quite quick, or they can be longer meetings if there's a lot to thrash out. But we follow a formal meeting structure, depending on the depth we need to go. Your meetings with Michael, are they just ad hoc in terms of any time during the day, but every day? Or do you have a should process to make sure you and Michael remain on the same page? It is ad hoc. It's just a check in when we feel it kind of depends on how much is happening in the business and and what our main focus is. So we'll have our conversations where we decide what is the most important thing at the moment. And that might go along for a month or so. And then we change the day-to-day is ad hoc. The rest of the company has to be stood. Everybody else has to have their meetings. Just taking again a bit broader view of your life at Jill and as now a business owner, what are you most proud of in the last 20 years? And why? When the team thank you and say things like, you're the best uh, management team boss that I've ever had, or I love working there, that is awesome. And I pride myself on, on trying to sort any issue out because we all have different views and we all look at things differently. And I think it's critical that we understand why we all have this different understanding of the situation. And if If each of us look at it from each other's point of views, you can solve it. Anything can be solved easily, you know, but so many people don't want friction and therefore they don't do a dive into the actual problem to figure out what truly is the underlying problem. So uh, we understand from different points of view what is truly going on and we solve it. That's fantastic. The irony is the people that avoid the friction, as you say, end up in a greater frustrated scenario down the line because they haven't voiced that concern. So the more you can get people to, as you said, to voice their friction, thrash that out, the the more successful everybody is and the happier everybody is. Absolutely. I agree. Mm. Do you run, again, a similar question to earlier, do you run a formal process for giving and getting feedback from either team members or the company staff in total, or it's, again, just much more ad hoc and the water cooler discussions that you have with your team? So structured weekly meetings for business as usual. We all know when somebody has something on their minds or something's going wrong in people's eyes, it's always pretty obvious, you know, if you get to know people well. And so, therefore, that sort of thing is genuinely ad hoc you see somebody struggling with something we ask what's up what's happening what's happening at home and then we will give leeway to 
whatever the situation is. It's a great example of the values of your business and how values are observed, not told. So you can tell everybody that we have a value of of communication, but the way you have approached that and explained that you actually do go in and ask is a demonstration of that value. So that's that's really strong. Thanks. You mentioned earlier that you work across three industries. It'd be great for the audience just to explain again, just briefly what those three industries are. And then given the breadth of experience you've got in building technology, selling and marketing into three like, quite distinct industries, what are some of the key lessons you've learned that have helped you create sustainable success while working in such disparate or such different industries? So once again, what are the three industries mm-hmm. that you work through with? Sorry. Motor, well, two are in the motor industry. One is more focused on uh, car dealers, the buying and selling of cars online, and that involves and that involves you know sending the advertising to all the online advertisers like you know car sales, Gumtree, Cars Guide, that sort of thing. A uh, second one is in the motor industry, which is mechanical workshops. So the guys where you take your car to be repaired. So for them, it's managing business, does their invoice, controlling of jobs, that sort of thing. And then totally different industry, the software is easy vend and it's for food and beverage companies and it's not just for food and beverage. So we're going through the process of changing our target market. It is to be business. At the moment, we're, we're separating the businesses so that people can focus on one particular area. I think it's critical. At the moment, I'm struggling. So if you can imagine if I'm struggling, all my team members who are having to go across three industries are also struggling. So we need to put our focus hats on again and separate them. People need to have one industry that they focus on. The roles are too big. The software packages are too big now. We're wanting to put different people in charge of different areas, and that's the process. And I'd say it's going to take us quite a while to make that happen. Just to make sure I understand that clearly. So at the moment, you're quite centralised. There's a technology team that works across all three, the sales and marketing team that works across all three, I assume finance and administration could remain centralized. So are you now in a process of separating out those products into three different verticals? So you'll have a technology, sales and marketing for each of the different industries or businesses? Correct. I think the motor industry is okay to have those two products together. So yes, we will have salespeople focused on those two products and not touch the other. Same with marketing, same with development and also support. So now everybody in the company, they don't have to learn all three industries and all three softwares. The most they'll have is the two software packages in the motor industry or the one in the distribution. Interesting. Explore this a little bit further if that's okay. If I'm going into areas where you'd rather not answer, feel free. But will you drive that all the way down to separate P&Ls for each business so you can then really get a true understanding of the profitability of each of the different products you That's the goal. You know, we all know things don't don't necessarily happen exactly as we plan it, but that is the goal. Right. Excellent. Is this the first time you've tried this approach in the 20 years or is this something that you used to do or or you've always been a centralised business? First time, first time in 20 years. I think it's right. it's simply because the company's getting bigger and bigger and it's becoming a bigger and bigger challenge. And I, I really believe that we are not doing any of the industries any favours anymore. We've just got too big. So we just need to separate. Right. And then I believe that every industry will boom. 
congratulations. That must have been a challenging decision to arrive at. And that doesn't say anything about the actual implementation, which I'm sure is going to be a, another mountain to climb. Yes. You've now been running Geo for almost 20 years. I'm sure it hasn't all been smooth sailing. What's one change that you've made in the business and in your role that's had an impact on achieving long-term I generally have to come back to cutting out the noise and being on the same page with Michael. When we had some rocky times there, because I'm sure everybody does, if they say they didn't, then that's a fib. When we managed to to do that and on a long-term basis, things changed us. I assume those changes are on the delivery of the business, but more importantly, the change impacted your relationship with Michael. Uh, which impacts the whole company. Correct. Running a business, especially a small to medium-sized enterprise, requires resilience. How have you developed your own mental muscle to drive changes in your role and in you personally and the business? And what do you do to remain resilient every day? I sometimes think that resilience is born in you. It's part of your personality. I genuinely know that exercise and you know one of the things that that I get into is yoga I think yoga helps dramatically guys yoga and making sure that the business is my priority and juggling that is pretty hard especially when you've you've got kids and you're sort of trying to do all the things at once I guess it comes back to yoga and exercise is is probably the biggest helps yeah, just focusing on your own mental health is a key thing. Yes. That's definitely one of the changes of a few years around an understanding of the impact of mental health on everybody in the company. Creating systems and processes is one of the most common answers to why a business has been successful over time. Would you agree that adding systems and processes has been impactful to Jill's sustainable success? And if so, could you tell us about a system or process that has had a significant impact on the business and what that impact has been? Yep, sure. The funny thing is one of the processes or systems that we introduced is all about systems. And that's when a problem occurs. Usually it's one of three situations. It was probably deliberately caused by a person for some reason. That's rare. The second one is, Sometimes things happen, they just fall through the cracks and you can't do anything about it. But the most common one is that our system is not working. There's a glitch in the system. So every time something goes wrong, we say it's important that we delve down and we find out the reason that it went wrong and whether we need to make a change in the system to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's critical. Is that, a again, a, a formal stop and review process that you follow or you just have done it so many times that you and the rest of the team know that if something doesn't go as planned, you will stop and take stock of where things happened and where they went wrong? I think it's ingrained. It's just ingrained because everybody right. just naturally does it now. That's great. That's an amazing drive for, again, continual improvement. I'm not sure if that's one of your values either, but it's definitely something that's obviously very strong for you. Just to go down a different direction, and, and I'm really interested to understand your perspective of this question, given GL is now 40 years old. In creating a, a sustainable company, a company that has the potential to last decades, 
or generations, in which case you have, the role of the leaders continually changes. What have been some of the most significant changes in your role and were these intentional changes you made or driven by specific circumstances? Change is happening right now, in actual fact. Part of the separation of the businesses is advisors. You know, instead of us doing everything at the moment, we're really trying to step back and get our people to do it. And we just simply advise. And we're quite excited about this change, even though this is challenging. This is probably one of our biggest challenges, actually. We're looking forward to giving other people, including family members, the opportunity to do just what we have done, you know. So if, if we work less and they work more and they gain the rewards, just like we did when we worked hard. So um, that's in the process at the moment. That's the dream for every founder of an organisation <laughs> to eventually work themselves out of well, out of initially day-to-day operations and then ultimately into a a proper chairperson style of role. Can you talk a little bit more through, one, what's driven you and Michael to get to this point and really have the realisation? Because I'm sure it's something you've thought about many times over the 20 years. So what's what's driven the, the drive to act on it now? And then what are the steps you're doing next week, next month, and over the next 12 months to to bring that to life. So just to recap, what why did you make the decision now? What's driven in the business to finally step into that change? And then what's the roadmap to drive that change? I've been trying to talk Michael into it for years, <laughs> years and years. And and finally he has he has seen the light. <laughs> right. And I, I think it comes back to age, you know, when you, as you're getting older and you're seeing things around you, uh, we just want to spend more time, (laughs) really, you know. Living. Living, living, that's it, that's it. And and I think also, you know, maybe COVID accelerated that, you know, everybody's in this mode at the moment, so COVID probably accelerated that. But but I think the big thing is just simply age, It's, it's time. I had that. As, as my goal, but I think Mick, Mick is a little bit older than me. It wasn't the other way around, but he certainly has the souls now as well. And for us to achieve it, that's where the, the separation of the industries came into it as well. Because we know ourselves it's too hard to wear that many hats. So um, in a year's time, I guess a year is 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 how long I think it'll take us to have the businesses quite separate and having the people it's going to take extra people to do that is key. So over the next year, 12 months, I see separation of businesses, the key people in their positions, and then it'll just from there, I guess it'll just happen naturally. Can you tell us about that? Are you bringing in... So if you look at the marketing or technology teams, are you bringing in more doers to be able to deliver on the work that is required or are you looking at splitting out your roles as the senior leaders and bringing in leadership at the top of each of the the to try to then drive that change down Mm -hmm. from the leadership team down? 
I think it's a bit of everything. You know, you, you wear not only the same hat, different industries, but we have people because we're still, you know, we're a small medium business. Um, different hats for different roles in the company as well. So I believe we need to get specific people for specific roles in areas of the business, and that will bring in knowledge and help the new leaders in the business. So it's a bit of both. We we have to bring in leaders. We have to bring in specific people. So both, really. Right. I would imagine your experience watching both the change and massive growth at TPG is going to give you some level of experience or understanding of A, what is potentially possible, but B, some of the roadmap or pathways to drive the sort of change you're going through. Because as you said, TPG started with building boxes and today is either the second or third largest telecommunications carrier in Australia. That's a far change from selling PCs. Oh, no, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. The biggest part of the TPG journey was um, I think I was only in the company for a few months before I wanted to go and start the New Zealand branch. I was in my early early 20s when that happened. Right. And to be honest, I had no idea. I, had, <laughs> I was as green as they came, you know, and I, I think I... I I sat in a a hotel room with the yellow pages back then, you know, no yellow pages today, but back then yellow pages, just ringing computer companies. So (laughs) you're just trying your hardest to achieve a certain goal and you just have to go with the changes. Sometimes it's, it's not where you thought it was and you have to go over here. You just go with the changes and you just learn. So Julie, as we've noted a few times now, the business Geo software was started 40 years ago by your father, Michael joined, and 10 years later, you joined the business. And after your father running for what must have been close to 20 years, you and Michael have been running it for the last 20 years. And you noted that in that period and today, other family members and the next generation are involved in the business. Do you see Geo Software remaining as a, a family business and ultimately the third and maybe fourth generations taking on leadership roles in the future or do you potentially see other pathways for the business? Hard to say at this point. You know, we all want specific things. Like I mentioned before, my son who's 18, I really envisaged him in the business. I thought he'd be fantastic in the business and and couple him with with maybe my, my brother's daughters. And I'm thinking, perfect, perfect, but it just doesn't happen that way. He he did not enjoy working there, so so that didn't happen. So I think it will be a mixture of, of family members and non-family members who drive the business in the future. So really a mix. There are plenty of examples of, of multinational businesses that have gone generational change and had professional, for want of a better, non-family leadership until the family members were ready. Mm-hmm. Mars or Master Foods is a prime example of one that for many for the many years over the last sort of 10, 15 years hadn't had any family members in senior leadership, but now they're maturing into it. So these things, as you say, they're not that we can't plan what our children or nieces and nephews want to do. We can only <laughs> open doors and hope they step into them. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So Julie, that, that's everything I wanted to run through today. So I'll just take a moment. Thank you for joining us. If there's anything else you wanted to add before we close out? No. Thank you very much for having me on, Rick.
Great. Pleasure. Thank you, Julie, again. And I really do look forward to watching the continuing success of Jill and looking forward to see how the separation and really the growth of then the three products will change in the new management structure and looking forward to seeing you sitting by a pool, drinking a pina colada somewhere, <laughs> enjoying your your free time as the the next layer of leadership and the future generations of your family take on the challenge of running Jill Software. Me too, me Thank too. You, Thank you, Rick. <laughs>